Hi, this is James Shokin with Web Comics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight we're talking about the necessity of critique. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. Arguably, there is no job more reviled or respected in the art industry than that of critic. Obviously, they're respected because you need the critic to come in, differentiate the wheat from the chaff. They, somebody needs to come in and say, hey, this is great, this is horrible, and of course, whoever does that job isn't exactly going to be the most well-liked at parties. I mean, nothing is ever more unpopular than somebody with an educated opinion on something, especially when that opinion isn't popular or goes against the host of the party. Unfortunately, that's the job of the critic. The critic is that one guy who looks at general things that are going overall and helps to decide, you know, helps to decide which trends will be well set. It's sort of important for somebody to sit back and look at what's going on overall, you know, in terms of new trends, new fads, even up-and-coming artists, and to put some sort of decision on the situation. Unfortunately, whoever does make that decision is obviously not going to be really popular, especially if they know what they're doing. I mean, it's just sort of sucks to be the person who has to play judge on things, and always will. I mean, let's get real, if you're watching one of those talent shows on TV, and the judge goes against what you're thinking, all of a sudden you're going to start hitting that judge, even if what the judge said was completely legit. And when it comes to film critics, well, everybody has their favorite genres and their least favorite genres, and a lot of times why the critic is panning something again, while totally legit, isn't exactly going to be really popular. Or for that matter, while they're saying this is a really cool movie, you know, just isn't going to fly. One of the problems with looking at, say, Oscar movies, is you've got some really great movies that aren't being voted in or being even nominated, because while they're really fun movies to watch, they just lack a lot of stuff when it comes to actual substance. That is, they're really great for watching at the, mo- the moment, but if you, say, look at 5, 10, 15 years down the road, those same movies will no longer have the same impact, and a lot of them, the impact actually changes. Thus, the critic who's sort of looking to the future and seeing, you know, what kind of impact will this art have later on down the road isn't going to be as popular as somebody who says, this is the end thing now, go see it while you can. And because of that long distance view, critics are usually not really well received. Nonetheless, people do listen to them once in a while and say, hey, well, why do you say that? This is sort of why we start looking at certain critics. Um, Siskel and Ebert, are probably two of the best critics ever because both of them had their own perspective on what what works and what doesn't. In Millie, Siskel, Siskel tended to be a little bit on the conservative side while Ebert tended to have a lot more fun with stuff. But when you basically balance the two of them out, you got some really great critics or critiques on stuff. And we've had a lot of great critics throughout the throughout time whose job was to simply say, hey, this is cool, this isn't, 
And this is why. Unfortunately, because why didn't always agree with the pop culture at the time, well, yeah, you can see pretty much why critics aren't exactly the most popular people, kids at the party. So, nonetheless, we need to start looking at the necessity of critique for the purposes of doing reviews. Obviously, part of this podcast will be getting into reviews, but part of that is, is I need to establish that, you know, first off, reviews are necessary, even for something as relatively transitory as a webcomic. But more importantly, I've got to establish, hey, this is, I'm not trying to be a jerk, and if I do come off as a jerk sometimes, there's a good reason for it. So, because I want to be able to have something I can point back to as to what my thought process is when it comes to reviews, and what standards I'll be using when I do reviews, this show is sort of mandatory. So basically, if you're not really into doing in the how critics think, this is obviously not going to be the show for you. For those of you who want to see a little bit of the behind the scenes, as it were, this may prove to be just a little bit of illuminating, or at least allow you to cut us a little bit more slack. So, with that in mind, when it comes down to it, a critic improves essentially three separate things. He improves the industry, he improves the art, and he improves the artist. By, when looking at when it comes to the industry is that with most artists, you tend to look at what they're doing, maybe a few others, but they don't tend to get look at the really big, huge picture. You know, they don't look at a lot of the stuff that's going on or maybe why what they're doing is, shall we say, problematical. You know. Um, this isn't necessarily just for what I'm looking at, say, racist or sexist art, but also art that tends to be a little too on the progressive side, which I know sounds sort of weird. But step back and look at um, a lot of black shows on TV for right now. I'm willing to bet, I know it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'm willing to bet a lot of people would really like to see a lot more story-driven or character-driven stuff. But it seems like every time you get a black show on TV, all of a sudden, the only thing that matters is the person's race. And I'm willing to bet that's starting to really aggravate a lot of people. A critic is somebody who can step back and look at those trends and say, hey, this train may be really cool right now, but it may end up actually hurting the industry as a whole. You know? If you look at the fact that most people look at entertainment as an escape from reality by enforcing some sort of reality into their, into well, their escape, well, all of a sudden that escape is all of a sudden not going to be really popular. And in all honesty, I'm willing to bet a lot of people want to escape a lot of the racist behaviors they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, a critic is somebody who can step in and say, Hey, I really like what you're doing with the show, but you might want to tone this part of it down just a little bit. You know, there is a plus and minus when it comes to different areas. On the other hand, if they notice that somebody's being out-and-out racist, Hey, Critic is fine to come in and just slap the guy down. So, and that applies to anything that's, you know, what we can start to consider a little bit intolerable. A critic doesn't have to tolerate the intolerable. 
you know, we can basically look at it and say, hey, this is a problem that needs something needs to be worked on. And we don't always have to put it in as that polite speech. Trust me. You, some of the best critics out there have had no problem laying it out and being blunt. So, yeah, I mean, the problem to keep in mind here is that a great critic is going to be a little bit on the moderate area. That is, yeah, we're going to be a little on the progressive side, but we're also going to be somewhere on the conservative side, and a great critic will know how to balance that out. And in a really weird way, that actually helps the industry as a whole, because it, on one hand, keeps it going from going way too out there, but at the same time, keeps everything from keeping way too static. It's just a really weird line where you need change, but at the same time, you need a little bit of things to stay the same. Um, besides political topics, another example of that would be, say... What's going on with Robin Hood and King Arthur type stories? That is, those kind of stories are, everybody's trying to do all these really neat, gritty reboots, and so they're looking at the, the old legends and trying to make them more modern. The only problem is, is that by making them too modern, at the same time you're ignoring a lot of what makes those stories really, really cool. You know? Um, with Robin Hood, for example, one of the neat, really things about Robin Hood is that he's about wealth and equality. He literally steals from the rich and gives to the poor. Bounces things out a little bit. That kind of story right now would be really awesome. Unfortunately, you've got so many people dealing with the trivia of Robin of Loxley that they're looking at all the really silly stuff and bringing that stuff forward. At the same time, the stuff that's really important to the Robin Hood mythos they're leaving in the dust. And as such, I mean, look at the last Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. It wasn't that bad, but it just wasn't a Robin Hood movie. You had Robin Hood as an actual soldier. And yeah, it was a really great so-called origin story, but it was just an origin story done all the way wrong. Rather than emphasizing why Robin Hood did the stuff he did, and... You had people looking for irony value, like, for example, him being a friend of Prince John, when everybody knows him as the enemy of Prince John. King Arthur, you're doing way too much of the same. That is, while King Arthur is really great when it comes to, you know, building up the infrastructure of a place, is doing all these major heroic deeds, and emphasizing that there is sort of a cost to doing these deeds sometimes. I mean, look at what I'm ended up happening at the end of the Arthurian mythos. A lot of people are ignoring that and going straight for the Flash. That is, they're going for the romance between Arthur and Guinevere, maybe throwing a little bit of problematic there with Lancelot. But, you know, look at the last King Arthur attempt. It involved taking King Arthur at, not as a, you know, highborn who is, you know, apprenticed out, to the local lord or whatever, but rather, they started King Arthur off as a lowborn, that is, somebody from the lower rungs of society, and tried to build him into the king. And while it makes a really great, you know, modern gritty story, you don't always want those gritty stories. Again, the job of a critic is to point out that, hey, 
you got this really cool story and you're completely messing it up. You quit it. So, you know, again, there's that balance issue. Is advancing the story making it more modern worth it if at the same time you're leaving some of the cool stuff behind? You know, exactly where is that line between where you need to modernize the story versus where you need to come into the story and just don't touch stuff. You know, it's just sometimes you need somebody to come in with a ruler and slap somebody on the back of a hand. Yeah, I know, I'm comparing critics to Catholic school nuns, but the analogy basically applies. You need somebody to come in and say, this isn't working, here's how it could work, and here's how it's worked in the past. Of course, you also need somebody to come in and say, hey, you're trying to keep it way too much like this because these things just haven't worked. Or to point out that we're no longer doing these kind of things. So, with a critic, there's, like I said, there's that really weird sense of balance there. We also need to start have somebody who comes in and says, hey, these trends or these fads just don't work. And here's why. This sometimes will turn a fad into a trend and sometimes because, well, we'll see a fad that really, really works well and we'll applaud it. Conversely, we'll see a fad that, you know, is just bloody stupid and somebody needs to be shot for it. And we're the sniper, baby. So... You know, it's just, you need to recognize which trends are good which and which we need to get rid of versus trends that actually work and work really well. By recognizing the trends that work really well and by making the fads that also tend to work, I mean, you know, it's just, I need to step back a sec because I know I'm using fads and trends really loosely here. Keep in mind, the trend is anything that basically persists over time. A fad, on the other hand, is something that shows up for a summer and, you know, it's cool. Uh, somebody thought the superhero movie was going to be just a fad. You know, we'd have a couple of superhero movies. They'd do well. The next batch of superheroes movies would fail miserably. And then we'd be all over it. If that happened, then the superhero movies would have been just a fad. On the other hand with superhero movies actually getting stronger. I mean, they're actually having some really fun over the Marvel Universe movies in terms of world building where they're actually we're actually able to look at characters and explore them over time almost episodically as well as see them advance character and plot-wise. So it's actually been sort of fun looking at the MCU. The point here, though, is that because of what's going on with the MCU, superhero movies have moved from being a fad and moved into an actual trend. And personally, I hope it's one that will continue for a long time, but, you know, I'm sort of partial to superhero movies. That's my bias. Keep that word in mind for a little bit later. When it comes down to it, we're just basically looking to see what the changes are in you know, looking at the changes and seeing if those changes actually work for the industry or if they don't. And if they do, we'll applaud them and try to figure out ways to make those changes stick. Of course, the problem is that changes over time become part of the industry itself, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing until they 
overstated their welcome. And of course, there's changes that well, just don't just don't work. And we don't understand why they keep happening, but you know they need to be slapped down anytime they show up. In a lot of weird ways, this comes back to why critics aren't the most well-liked people in the room. We're essentially that father figure in a lot of ways that basically says, "Hey, you're doing well. Keep it up." Or no, just don't do that anymore. And because of that, because of that voice of authority, well, when your industry itself is based on the idea of rebelling against authority and you're establishing yourself as the authority, yeah, it's sort of an oil-water thing. But And I'll keep coming back to that because it's sort of fascinating to watch. But the general thing is, though, is that you need in any industry that voice of authority. You need somebody to sit back, relax, and just see what's going on overall. You know, you need somebody to look at the big picture. And that's where critics come in. For the most part, I think we do a fairly decent job. Yeah, I know you're going to disagree with that, but I'll come back to that. I'll definitely be covering that issue. At the same time, we also improve the art. Not only are we looking at all these really cool trends and figuring out how they apply to the situation, but we also tend to set standards. That is, we tend to look at the difference between an A movie and a B movie, and of course the triple Z features. And of course that applies to pretty much anything. I mean, there's some really great books that are fun reads, but don't really do anything, you know? They're really great, they're transitory, they'll make you think temporarily, but when you're done with something, it's sort of like eating a bowl of popcorn. You know, it might fill you up for an hour or so, but eventually you'll want something more. At that point, we're going to have to differentiate between that or the steak. Yeah, I know, that term offends vegetarians, but so be it. What I'm looking at is that the steak will not only fill you up, but it also provides some actual benefits, in this case the protein and a few other veg vitamins. And you need somebody who can differentiate between the popcorn and the steak. And if we're going to bring this analogy even further, I mean, obviously we're looking at stuff that can be vegetables too. I mean, if you like eggplant parmesan, hey, substitute anything I've said for steak for any vegetarian deal. You know, at the same time, you've got to sort of differentiate between that and the candy stuff. Or worse, the stuff that's just plain toxic. Don't get me wrong, occasionally you want a little bit of the toxic stuff. I mean, just look at how much popular alcohol is. Alcohol is definitely a poison, but at the same time, using the right amounts, it can be sort of fun. So we appreciate that there is a certain degree. Okay, screw it. Here's the deal. When I critique things, I like my steak. Don't get me wrong. I like my popcorn at the same time, and occasionally, even though I'm diabetic, I definitely can appreciate having a little bit of candy now and then. We all know there can be a little bit of advantage of having a little bit of the toxin every so often. I mean, I homebrew. You know, I definitely appreciate that occasionally the imbibing of poisons is not necessarily a bad thing because, well, I like beer. And let's get real, beer, even though it has some definite health benefits, the major issue is that, well, it's, uh, alcohol is a poison. 
You have too much alcohol, you will die. The key here, though, is that a good diet has a little bit of all these features. That is, you have the important stuff. You have the not-so-important stuff to get you by for a little while. You have the straight, fun stuff that you know isn't always going to be healthy for you, but can be fun. And if you're really thinking about it, you need the really bad stuff to look at to really appreciate all the good stuff. So, part of being a critic again is coming back and saying, hey, looking at all this balanced stuff, how is it going to work in the long run? You know? Going to web comics is sort of looking at something, say, like Penny Arcade or XKCD, which are really cool meat and potato type comics. That is, they've got some really strong strings to them. They cause people to think in terms of philosophical details. And they also tend to satirize what's going on just well enough to make people really sit up and think. Really great stuff. At the same time, you've got your sluggy freelancers, your Dominic Deegans, you know, your Girl Genius. I love Girl Genius, don't get me wrong. But Girl Genius is caramel-flavored popcorn. It's brilliant stuff. It tastes great. It has a really great crunch. But it does its best when it's not really, when you're not really thinking about what's going on. When you're just on there as a, in the roller coaster ride. Because of that, it's something to watch and something to read. Of course, you also have a lot of really weird stuff. And that just is out there just to have fun. Uh, Tempest, Arizona, for example. Great comic, but it doesn't really do anything, you know. It attempts to make you think, but it doesn't really do anything. Um, Mega Tokyo is so involved with what it with making fun of gamer culture, as well as respecting it, that it has no real actual value. But nonetheless, it needs to be part of a good reading diet. You know, it's just you've got to sort of balance in all that. And of course, the critical lets you know if something's toxic and if it's a good toxic or if it's something you need to be aware of. And just keep away from. So. And and you're going to catch a lot of me making fun of. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Johnny Vasquez. Johnny Vasquez is somebody who's really, really cool. Um, but everybody tends to make. Everybody tends to copy him. Unfortunately, nobody has actually been able to copy him well. And one of the general trends is that. Well, somebody copying what Johnny Vasquez is doing is going to end up sucking hardcore and, well, that's where the things get toxic. But, so, that's all part of setting a standard. Of course, once we set that standard, we can also tell our artists how well they're doing as far as, you know, some sort of weird measuring stick. Um, an example of a comic that's really improved over time is Sluggy Freelance. We started off with really simple stories, you know, it's just a simple four panel, but somewhere in there he decided to start throwing in um, actual character arcs, plot development, so on and so forth. And you could actually chart the growth. Again, being a critic, it's important to recognize that you've got some really cool things going on as far as character, as far as artist growth goes. On the other hand, you also got to check when see if somebody's going a little too far the other way. Uh, Tempest, Arizona. 
really great comic book, or, but eventually it started dying. It was just doing weirdness just for the sake of being weird, which sometimes fine, but too much of it starts getting a little bit, just, it's horrible. So again, as a critic, we step in and say, hey, here's our standards, here's how you're doing, and depending on, and the fun part is, again, our popularity is keyed into if we're basically patting somebody on the back or, or telling them to go sit in a corner. Sort of, I'm, you know, there's definitely father figure and knowledge going on there. Not only do we improve the industry and improve the artist, but we also improve the comic itself. We point out the pluses and minuses of that comic, its strengths, its weaknesses. What it's doing great, what it's doing horrible. And, you know, obviously if it's a strength, we're going to say, hey, cool, more of this. If it's something that needs to be changed, ideally, we'll do a constructive criticism thing where we basically say, hey, this is where you're screwing up. This is what you need to change. Please change it. Please. And... In general, this means that we can rein in some of the weirdness and actually encourage other aspects of the comic to flower. You know? Again, it's that really weird balance act. Where do you come in and say, hey, this is something really cool. This needs to be really, really encouraged. Can you have more of this? Please, can you have more of this? At the same time, if things just try to get a little on the weird side, that is, you're doing things just to be weird or you're trying stuff to to be funny, but you're not actually being funny. You know. It's just a matter of, depending on what we say, we can actually make the comic book better. And by making the comic better, we can also help the artist improve. And by improving the artist, we improve the industry as a whole. Really cool how that works out, right? Unfortunately, then you have the idiot critics. Remember, what I, remember how I said to uh, take note of bias? Yeah, here's where it comes in, hardcore. The problem you have with bias is that you have people who have too much of a political or religious bias and they can use that as their standard of measure. You know, if they're conservative and you have an ultra-progressive comic, the conservative will just tend to slap it down. On the other hand, a progressive can do the a liberal... Critic can do exactly the same thing when it comes to conservative comics. A more moderate critic would basically say, hey, the liberal comic's doing some really cool stuff here, but it needs to work here, and we'll do the exact same thing to the conservative. Not everything needs to be the same flavor. Occasionally, you need somebody to take a step back, and... I mean, I know it's a weird thing to say, but occasionally we need the conservatives out there. It's not necessarily a completely bad thing to be conservative. It's just when the conservative tends to be too... I want to say too much of a throwback. You know? Somebody who's, who's totally against women's rights, for example. That's conservative we don't really need. At the same time, there's a lot of liberals that could tone it down a little bit. They're way too much on top of women's rights, which I know sounds like it's not a bad thing, but trust me, too much of anything can be bad. Again, but what's the first one with 
political bias or a religious bias, they'll come in and judge the comic solely based on that that bias. So, some biases are good, but in general, a really extreme bias in a critic is not exactly the world's greatest thing. Um, another problem you have are wealthy and uneducated critics. These are critics who have absolutely no clue and should be absolutely nowhere near art. You know, they literally... Their big thing is they can tell good art just by looking at it. No, that's not being a critic. A critic can tell you why something is good or why something is bad. They don't just look at something and tell you if it's good or bad. You know? Does that mean work on a Facebook page where, you know, you're just trying to garner the likes? Great. But a, somebody who's actually educated and can actually tell you a little bit more about, hey, this is really cool. I love the... Um, some person's art on Facebook just a couple of days ago was absolutely incredible. Um, what they had done was they'd taken some uh, background and stippled it. That is, it was pretty much nothing but dots. And the forefront, the main actual character, was done in really cool lines. I mean, really clear-cut, concise, very nice lines. So you had this really cool... The main character was in focus. Everything else was essentially out of focus. And he didn't do this by stressing the lines. He did it by doing an entirely different type of art based on if he's trying to focus it or keep the thing in focus. And it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was just... You know, dude, this is awesome. Because you could actually see the difference in the art between what he was trying to focus in on and what he wasn't. I mean, you could still see details in the background... But, you know, those background characters have obviously added to the overall feel of the piece. But, by varying the texture of the two sections, he did something really, really cool. And you'll note that I'm using actual words like stippling, clean-cut lines, um, inking, that sort of thing. I'm not just simply saying it was good. You know, I'm actually backing up why I'm saying it was awesome. That's the difference between an educated critic and a non-educated critic. And we need more educated critics who actually do know a little bit about art to come in and say, hey, this is why things work. My strength as a critic is that I'm worried about plot and writer and character development and all this other fun stuff above and beyond the art. It's not necessarily... I mean, don't get me wrong. I know a little bit about art. I know the pointillism school. I know the difference between a Monet and a Manet, and it's not just that second letter. Um, I know what Rubenesque is because I've seen Ruben's pictures. And trust me, you want to see some plus-size women? You need to go track down some Ruben. Um, you know? So yeah, I know a lot about the art side of it. But I know an incredible lot about the writing side of it. And you'd be surprised how many comics critics focus in just on the art. So I'm sort of weird that way. But again, that's my strength, and again, I tend to be a little bit on the moderate. At least I hope I am. You know. So. The other problem is, is that you have way too many artists who become critics because they don't like how people are doing critics. Their criticism. The only problem is that while there may be incredible artists, actually, let's screw it. If you become a crit, if you became a critic because somebody started slamming your art all the time, yeah, you're probably not the world's greatest artist. 
and while I know it's another form of bias at the same time, somebody who's a failed artist is probably not the world to be the world's greatest critic. I mean, you just have way too many critics who did all these really cool things when it came to other aspects of art that become critics, or people who just, for one reason or another, couldn't become an artist, become critics because, well, they know their stuff. It's just something happened, and they couldn't, you know. Uh, the artist, for example, who had a hand accident, or acquired some sort of disease that eliminated fine control. These people make some incredible critics. On the other hand, you have these people with all these with all this education who should know their stuff. They're absolutely clueless when it comes to the actual art. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, some people are too trapped into how it should be done and that's not what a critic does. A critic doesn't just look at how things should be done. He looks at, you know, not only how this is, you know, he looks like he said, there was that, that's why I pointed out that weird conservative versus liberal thing. On one hand, you want to see how things should be done, but sometimes how things should be done isn't necessarily the way it actually should be done. You need to explore different alternatives. And if you have a bad artist who becomes a critic, you tend to look at somebody who ignores all the really cool stuff that could happen and gets too trapped into, you know, the how it should be done type of crap. And it just doesn't work out over, over time. So, that's the reason, that's why you need critics, and at the same time, you also need to watch out for crit bad critics. You know? Bad critics suck. They can actually hobble artists. They can destroy artists in all the wrong ways. Uh, they can get artists doing bad habits. You know, they need to be shot. The problem is, is that occasionally you need to figure out a way to, and on top of that, you've got the problem that sometimes critics are at it way too long, and so <clears throat> they start adapting, you know, they tend to start looking at things the exact same way, and they tend to get drated. Um... In essence, you, if you're going to be a critic, you need to recognize when you're being, you started being too old and then back out of the pool. Or have somebody slap you down and critique you. Turn about his fair play, after all. So, but if you find a great critic, somebody you can listen to, and somebody who actually knows what they're doing and having a lot of fun with it, well, like I said, it improves the comic. By improving the comic, you improve the artist. And by improving the artist, you improve the industry. And when it comes down to it, there's no better job in the universe. Except, of course, it doesn't make us popular at the pool parties. Which sucks. But, hey. Say la vie, right? Alright. So. That's my philosophy on critique. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, you can always run now. My duty reviews of webcomics... Here's my criteria. I'm going to be looking at the writing. I'm going to be looking at the art, and I'm going to be looking at the website in whole. This is an, this is an internet-based, you know, art after all. So, how your web design flows is an important part of it. You know, if I click on this link, will it actually take me somewhere, and will it take me to where the link is actually supposed to go? Um, can I go between panel to panel? Is there some sort of really cool archive? You know. Is there way too much stuff on the on the page? You know, some people will put everything they possibly think of and go cool. No, that's too busy. 
need to back off on it a little bit. Um, I'll be looking to see if there's really cool social media stuff going on, so on and so forth. The obvious question is, you know, is the web design perfect, mediocre, or just bloody awful? Sometimes you've got a really great comic, but it's right in the middle of a really horrible web page. And like I said, this is an internet-based art form, so that web design needs to be part of the critique. After all, if I have no way to go between pages, obviously sometimes my enjoyment of that webcomic is not going to be as much as if, you know, I've got something that really flows really well with a really incredible archive. And if I need to track down information, hey, I've got it really well delineated. <coughs> so overall, I mean, I know it's a weird place to start with a website, but, you know, it is part of the criteria and it is going to be looked at. And yeah, I've actually got a little bit of web design experience. I'm a couple generations behind, admittedly, but because I do have that web design experience, I've got that graphics background, I can actually look at the web design and say, hey, this works or this doesn't, and actually be very detailed about why it's not. Yeah, I know, it's one of the little perks about, you know, weird backgrounds and all that. But, you know, it's sort of like if you look at a web... If you had a physical comic in your hand, it's important to know whether or not, you know, not just does the artwork, does the writing, but, you know, are the binding good? Is this thing falling apart even as I'm reading it? Are there too many sticky pages? So on and so forth. Presentation needs to be looked at. And how it's presented and how it's organized is a major part of that. So, like I said, the website will be a good part of the criteria. Um, right after that, obviously, is going to be the writing. Actually, I mentioned I was a writer. So the second important part is going to be the actual art, you know. And this is going to get all sorts of complicated because, well, art is never easy. But in this case, does the art back up the writing, you know? Is there a definite clarity to the art or is it too muddy? Um... You know, is it depending on, is it way too much dependent on the art form itself? Or, you know, I've seen a couple of webcomics that would be, are incredibly gorgeous in terms of the art. The only problem is, is that the art didn't really support the writing or the, it was just there to be artistic. It's really great to see that once in a while, but if it doesn't tie into the actual writing, that is, you've got this incredibly gorgeous sunset... And it goes on for too, you know, it just takes up way too much of the page. It actually detracts from the value of the comic as a whole. Even though it's incredibly gorgeous, you've got all the right yellows, oranges, and reds. You've got clouds that are really puffy. You've got a horse going by. You can see every detail of the hair. Uh, but at the same time, if it doesn't really do anything involving the story, it's a waste of time, you know? The, you know, obviously detail is going to be an important part as well, but again, it's going to be looking at genre versus, you know, the kind of art you're dealing with. Uh, comic art doesn't, as in stuff that's actual comedy, obviously you don't have to do as much detail, even though that can work out really well. Um, but at the same time, if you're throwing in way too much detail in a comedy comic, you know, you've got all the really cool 
background gags on every possible panel. Yeah, this can work with some comics like Bizarro. Bizarro, if you pay attention to the background, you can see all these really cute little end gags going on. Um, but at the same time, if you're doing way too many end gags, it's going to take away from the comic. So even though you've got all this really cool stuff going on, there's the question is, are the details adding to or detracting from the general flow of the comic? Don't get me wrong, you should be able to read something really briefly through and then go back and look at it really closely. That's fine. You know, that's reread value. And anybody in the media will tell you reread value is immense. But at the same time, you don't want to get too crazy with it. You know? So there is going to be looking at how great the art is. Does the art actually fit with the story? And does the artwork either enhance or detract from the actual webcomic? <coughs> and then we're going to get to the writing. And if you don't think the writing is going to be a major criteria, yeah, you haven't been paying attention. And again, the point here is that the writing pretty much sells everything else. I mean, the old thought is that, well, somebody will come into a comic because of the art, but they'll study because of the writing. And since your webcomic needs people to stay, yeah, writing is a lot more important than you think. I'll be looking at the plot development, the character development. Uh, plot needs to have, uh, you know, develop over time. Even if it's a four-panel comic, there still needs to be some sort of plot development over time. Same with character development. Uh, for better or for worse, is my personal favorite comic because you've got this family that evolves over time. I mean, literally age, admittedly, but characters become a lot more complicated, you know, or complex, and overall you've actually got some really cool plot stuff that's going on that, again, develops over time. So obviously, the development of plot and character is a major thing, but so is the world building. Is this a place that I can actually believe exists? Is it something... I mean, I get that there's going to be a certain suspension of disbelief, I'm a Star Trek fan, you know? I know I can count on at least one major scene where they're going to go into straight techno babble, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and that's going to end up saving the plot. But that's fine. I expect that kind of stuff from Star Trek. You know? I don't watch Star Trek for the science. I watch it for the characters. I watch it because they've got this really cool version of the future that generally works, and it's sort of fun to see how it plays out. You know, the world building. Is the world set up so that within the comic itself it's consistent? It doesn't have to apply to real world physics. Straight up, I'm a Conan the Barbarian fan. I love Remo Williams, the Destroyer. Neither one of these comics is realistic by any stretch of the imagination. But they're still fun to read and they're very consistent in their own universes. That is, you know how often magic is going to work. You know... If you take two martial arts versus each other, what's going to happen, so on and so forth. You've got an in-universe consistency. So, when I look at the comic, obviously that'll be a major part of it. And, of course, there'll be, you know, looking at the comic and see if it... I'll be trying to figure out how it's supposed to work, and then based on that, if it actually does work or not. At that point, everything else will come into play. So, 
that's my criteria. The writing has to be good. I'll be looking at how everything is developing plus how how consistent it is. Uh, and of course, if it's a com comedy strip, whether or not it actually makes me laugh. Art doesn't work for the comic. It's going to be a major issue. Don't get me wrong. If you've got some incredible artwork, great. If it adds to the comic, incredible. If it doesn't add to the comic and actually detracts from the enjoyment, you're not going to like me. And, of course, I'll be looking at the website as a whole. So, that's where we are. That's my philosophy on what on critique as well as the criteria I'll be using whenever you do do reviews. So, I hope that works for you. If it doesn't, hey, we're going to be disagreeing a lot. So, have a good life. I'll talk to you later.